Welcome. There's uh, lots of us today, so if you guys don't mind scooting in as best as you can and let us know if there's some extra seats. We're kind of out of chairs, so uh, we'll make do with it. Hello, my name's Darren. How's everybody doing? What's that? I didn't hear any of you. How are you guys doing? (sighs) It's Christmas time, and uh, I'm excited to be here. If if you're new with us, uh, we left our robes at the dry cleaner. Sorry about that. Um, We don't have any actually. We don't have any ropes, so sorry. No, uh, this is the first time we've ever had a choir, so that's pretty amazing. Um, So exciting. Okay, what are we doing? Grab a Bible. Um, We're going to Luke chapter 2. We are in an Advent series, and for Advent is what the church, uh, historical church, practices. It's a time where the church calendar begins, where we say that the birth of Christ begins the year for the church. And so we have been practicing the last four weeks, looking at different topics um, and discussing a variety of things to try to slow us down and help us engage in this Christmas season. Two weeks ago, I shared with you uh, a talk from the first, one of the, the early announcement stories from Luke chapter 1 about Mary and Joseph. And I, I said that um, in, in the first century context, Mary would probably be a junior high kid working at Circle K from Barstow. Um, and no offense to those that live in Barstow, but that's kind of the, the, the per- paradigm we're given from Luke, is that Mary was probably 10 to 13 years old. Joseph was probably a teenager. Um, they were poor. And the, the announcement of the Savior of the world comes to the least likely people. And uh, someone was inspired by that talk, and someone from our church, a gardener, made this video. So it's called O Night Divine. And this was made in nine days um, from last two Sundays ago and was finished this week. And it's got like 40,000 hits on Vimeo. But check this out. He made this for us.
Yeah. Um, are the lights on? I'm sorry, yeah. It's pretty dark. It seems like this time, of, this time of year is mixed with chaos and confusion. Um, and uh, we started our Advent series with worship. How do we engage our, all of our lives, our whole self, in this season? How do we uh, worship a God in a season of consumer focus where uh, life is just thrown at, thrown at us? And two weeks ago, I talked about... Um, the, the, the story of Mary and Joseph and the challenge was uh, looking at the real story of Christmas, the subversive story, part one, that Jesus uh, is born to the least likely people, that the announcement is given to Mary. Um, we talked about what, in the midst of all this chaos, this stress, this consumerism, where America spends over $450 billion every year on Christmas stuff. How do we engage in culture as followers of Christ? How do, we, how do we become a redemptive presence when anxiety and stress and busyness is, is the culture of our day? How do we become people of peace, of restoration, of joy, of, of patience, of, of love in this chaos? Let's not stand from the outside condemning the world, but from within it, redeeming it. That was a challenge. And then last week, Bill talked about generosity and he said it was quite simple that the people of God are known by their generosity that for for his throughout history since Abraham the defining characteristic whether you're in or not the family of God is your generosity your willingness to give beyond your means because that's what it means to follow Jesus that's what it means for us to live like God to live like Christ and I I just have to say um, we we not only talked about it but we experienced it last week um, I don't know if all of you were here, but last week we brought all of the stuff we were collecting for those families we adopted. We adopted 34 families. We said, hey, there are people in our city that don't have enough, and many of us have plenty. Could we adopt them and bless them this Christmas by giving just random stuff? And we put these baskets together, and we had the whole room where the, where the pool tables are were full of stuff. We had 34 baskets, just everyone piled stuff in, and it was absolutely phenomenal. I was so blessed being, being a pastor. I watched how our small church took uh, well over 350 tags of, of anything from Walmart gift cards to toilet paper to nail polish remover to uh, games for kids. We compiled all of them to give these gifts to these moms in need. And we, we went to Precious Lamb and our Women's Connect team put on this amazing dinner. And we gave these baskets to these women, and, and uh, they are women in transition, women that are homeless, and, and I wasn't able to go because I was a guy, and they didn't let the guys go, um, but they let the women go. And I didn't go, but my wife said, one of the stories she had, uh, or one of the stories she told me was that she was sitting with one of the ladies who was 20-something, has a couple kids, and as she looked with tears in her eyes at the giant, um, I think it was a 24-pack of toilet paper, she said, yeah, right, amen? Um, she said, uh, the lady said to my wife, uh, this means I can buy a gift for my son. Because for her, it was a choice, toilet paper or a Christmas gift for my son. 
those are the types of things that we were able to do this year. And I just want to applaud you that we gave well beyond our means, total of like $8,000 given by everyone here for the, for the city. So can we give ourselves a hand? That was the whole precious lamb drive. And if you didn't get to participate, you know, a year ago we did 12 families. This year we did like 34. Next year hopefully we can do more. Amen? Are you guys awake? Are you stuck on the video? Because, man, that's just amazing news that we were able to bless so many families and live out generosity. It's so cool. So cool. My name's Darren. I feel like there's a lot of new people. Let me introduce myself. My name's Darren. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're going to dive into the Word. So grab your Bibles. Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, pull out your smartphone. If you don't have a smartphone, that's totally fine. There's Bibles around the side. Just hold your hand up. Maybe somebody will throw one at you. Luke chapter 2. Is it going to be like this this morning? It's freaking Christmas. And I'm not going to work my butt off to not get some jokes, okay? (laughs) It's for me, okay? I need some love. Luke chapter 2. Maybe we need to pray. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Lord Jesus, we declare you as the resurrected Messiah, the Son of God. And we gather in a nightclub on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to sing songs and to tell the world that you, in fact, have risen indeed. That our lives are worth following uh, you for the rest of our life. That you are worth following. That there are gods competing for our attention, but we give allegiance to you alone. We come in from from exciting weeks, anticipating this week, joyful, looking forward to see families. Some of us come in recognizing that we have broken families and this is just a sore reminder of things that we once had. But we come in, Lord, expecting for you to move. So Holy Spirit, would you fill this time with your presence? Fill us with your spirit. May we worship you well. May we grow. May we challenge each other to be more like you, Jesus. I pray, God, we would be the body today and that you would be honored by our presence here and that more than anything, we could just be present and real with where we're at and where you are with us. And we declare you as Emmanuel, God with us this morning. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, I'm ready to go. Luke chapter two. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. In case you're wondering, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts or angels appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the announcement of Jesus' birth, the incarnation that God comes as a man and dwells with us. This is the beginning of the journey of Christ. This is epic moment. I want to suggest today another subversive Christmas story. I simply want to reveal to you a backdrop that Luke writes in. He's writing from the first century, and I want to look at the first century perspective of Caesar Augustus and everything that was going on in Jesus' time in order for us to have a better understanding of this subversive message. If you're like me, when you think of this story, it's cute, it feels fuzzy and warm. Uh, it reminds me of the Christmas tree when there's a little nativity scene under there with a white Jesus that doesn't have a cone-shaped head or a swollen face. Joseph doesn't look like he just delivered his own son next to a donkey and a camel. And Mary doesn't look like she just gave birth. She's glowing. She's got this beautiful look on her. She's not in excruciating pain, whatever that would look like in first century childbearing. Um, okay, does anyone think about that stuff? Like they, they just, Jesus was born in a barn and was placed in a, a feeding trough. This is the savior of the world. And we, we paint it up with this cute story. And we, we mix it between the Michael Bublé CD that Jeremy Parsons has. And, and <laughs> he, he let us all know about that. And, and the Christmas carols with the hot chocolate. Christmas is missing something when you pull out the elements that are written in the first century. I want to suggest that this announcement to the shepherds is going to force every single person to choose who's God, who, who is God. How does the world really work? These are the questions that are coming out of here. And the, the announcement goes to the least likely people because God delights in flipping the world upside down and using the least likely folks for the most extraordinary things. This is our story to tell, and we have to grasp this kind of story and its implications for us. Are you with me? All right, buckle up. We're going on a, hist a quick history lesson. For those of you that don't like history, I'm sorry. I love history. It says in verse 1, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Whew, that is a large statement that we just pass right by. But in order for us to grasp what Jesus is about, we have to understand what Caesar is about. Are you with me? Okay, so before Caesar was a salad, Julius Caesar was this emperor. That was a lame joke, but I got some of you. And um, he had too much power, and cons a bunch of people conspired against him and killed Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar adopted his grandnephew as his son. The grandnephew's name was Octavian. Everyone, this is Octavian right off of his, right off his Facebook page. Um, I got it from his Twitter. I'm a follower. No, I'm not. Um, Octavian said after his father's death that he would hunt down all of the murderers that killed Julius Caesar. It sent the entire Roman Empire into a civil war lasting 13 years. It was utter chaos. 
they were destructive. They, 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 they brought peace to the empire by destroying everyone that opposed the Roman Empire. They defeated uh, plenty of people. They tortured. They killed people by the sword. There was conquest. It was absolute chaos. Uh, Octavian was, was defeating the enemies of the Roman Empire. And it, it, after the 13-year civil war, when um, Octavian defeated Mark Antony at the Battle of Actium, Octavian comes back to the, the center, to Rome, where the Senate gives him the title Caesar. He is now the rightful Caesar of the Roman Empire, and they give him a new name called Augustus. Octavian becomes Caesar Augustus. And C Augustus means the illustrious one. It means the majestic one. This is really important, so stay with me as I, I bring some parallels to the story that we're in today. So, Caesar Augustus is announced by the Senate to be set apart from all other Roman citizens because he brought Pax Romana. He brought peace on earth. His kingdom that he established was called, 30 years before Jesus was born, salvation. Caesar Augustus was called the illustrious one. They called him the God incarnate. Listen to this. Caesar Augustus put on these games and festivals that lasted for a couple of months honoring his dead father, Julius Caesar. During the time of the festival, a comet was seen in the sky and all the historians, all of the, the religious people, the, the, the Roman elite said, this means that Julius Caesar is now a god and he has taken the right hand of the throne next to Zeus. And from that point on, Caesar Augustus was called the son of the deified one. Written into tablets of stone, written into propaganda that was released throughout the entire Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus was being called the son of God. He was the bringer of peace on earth. He was called, his kingdom was called salvation. This is the climax, climate that Jesus is born into. He brought peace through a sword. Uh, one re historian says this, the Romans are plunderers of the world. If the enemy is rich, they are insatiable. If poor, they lust for domain. Not east, not west has sated them. They rob, they butcher, they plunder, and they call it empire. And where they make desolation, they call it peace. The peace of Rome was brought through a sword was brought through conquest. The way the Roman Empire worked was through domination, through, through uh, exploitation, through, through military force. One poet writes this about, a poet named Virgil, he writes this about um, uh, uh, Caesar Augustus. He says, and this was written into, into stone and that they were sent all over the empire. In fact, there was over 50,000 pictures, statues, um, portraits of Caesar Augustus that would flood the Roman Empire everywhere from Britain to India and this is what was written on it good news we have an emperor justice peace security and prosperity are ours forever the son of God has become king of the world he was known as the chief priest they would, they would, uh, if, you, if, you had, um, if you were taxed, you were participating in the political and religious worship of Caesar Augustus. They called him the son of the divine one, the cosmic savior. His birth inaugurated the golden age of peace and security. He was called heaven's shining star. They gave him this really interesting title. The title was the Lord. It was only used for Caesar Augustus. The Greek word is Kyrios. They called Caesar Lord. 
They would say, Caesar is Lord. Whenever they would announce a political victory, whenever they would announce something over a town, they would, they would call it euangelion. They would call it good news. It's where us Christians get the word gospel. This is all in reference to Caesar 30 years prior before Jesus' birth. 60 plus years prior before Luke writes his gospel story of Jesus. The birth, uh, uh, the birth of uh, Caesar Augustus is called the gospel. I love this. They set up temples to worship Caesar Augustus all throughout the Roman Empire. And when you go to these cities, there were unique cities all over and they were called ecclesias or ecclesias. Does anyone know what the early churches were called? what I just said. Yeah, that's good. Only a couple of us. That's great. There's a new word for you. Put that on your uh, holiday card that you send out um, if you do that sort of thing. Let me read this real quick. Uh, go to that first slide. So here's uh, a decree that was sent, I think it's like 20 BCE, that was uh, defining what Caesar was and who he is. And it says, the most divine Caesar we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending toward disillusion, he restored it once and more, gave to the whole world a new aura. Skip to the next one. Uh, Go down, it says this. uh, And who being sent to us and our descendants as Savior has put an end to the war and has set all things in order and having become God manifest. The word manifest is Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew uses the same word to describe Jesus before he's born. What word do they call Jesus? What's used in the Old Testament? Nobody knows. Emmanuel, okay. Okay, how many of you read the Old Testament? Okay, I'm just going to stop. That hurt me really bad in my heart. Caesar has filled, fulfilled all the hopes of... You don't have to follow along. That's really confusing. Sorry. <laughs> of earlier times and surpassing all the benefactors who preceded, whereas finally the birthday of the God Augustus has been for the whole world in the beginning of good news, you Angelion, concerning him. Therefore, let a new era begin from his birth. Do you understand that the backdrop, when we read this text in the first century and we come to this announcement story, we see that Caesar Augustus was known from from Britain to India, as the Son of God, as the bringer of peace, had the kingdom of salvation. Anything that was written about him was called the good news. Do you see any parallels to the gospel story of Christ? Registering in your town, verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, we just kind of read over this. This was a way to dominate and exploit the people that the Roman Empire brought peace to. Do you think that they had peace in Israel when they were occupied by foreign rulers that tortured and killed? At the time of Jesus' birth, this is really interesting, there was a revolt by the Jewish community. They, um, and and one one of the generals came in under Caesar Augustus and crucified 3,000 Jewish men three and a half miles away from Jesus grew up. 3,000 men. They didn't have enough timber to crucify everyone. They had to get it from the neighboring um, forest. This is the type of atmosphere that we enter into when we read this story. It's not this holiday Christmas song that we're going to sing about. It's far more subversive than that. If you were going to ask anyone, who is the Son of God, you would say Caesar Augustus. If you were in the first century and you were occupied by the Roman Empire, your, your income, you were taxed about 80% of your income. Do you think this was a good thing? No. This is terrible. 
But there's a much bigger story being written, and Luke writes very intentionally. Let's look at what the angels say in verse 10. First of all, the angels go to shepherds. I shared this two weeks ago, but do you realize the significance of this? Shepherds were, they were uh, low, lower class citizens. They were uh, dirty. It wasn't a very um, elite thing to be a part of. It was usually, if you were a shepherd at night, you were the night shift. Uh, that means that you probably didn't even own those sheep, but you were hired as a hired hand. Um, In in modern culture, I mean, we're talking about a low-class citizen doing a low-class work. Basically, a bunch of nobodies were considered the shepherds. And the angels, of all the people they could go to, the Pharisees, the religious elite, they could go to the priests in the temple, they could go anywhere. They go to the shepherds and announce this. Don't be afraid. I bring you euangelion. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, or other translations say, says, He is the King, and He is the Kyrios. He is the Lord. And this is the sign. He's going to be a baby, baby in this manger, and then a bunch of angels show up, and they say, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom His favor rests. Do you see what Luke just did? He uses the exact same titles, the exact same words, the exact same language that's used to describe Caesar Augustus. Do you think this is an accident? Do you think something else is going on? In the Roman Empire, they didn't care if you worshipped other gods. They were totally tolerant if you worshipped other gods, as long as you paid tribute to Caesar. What happens when you replace the things of Caesar with the things of Christ? You now have to choose. You now have to choose who you're going to worship. Do you see how subversive this is? Let's, let's think about this. You now have to decide who is Lord. Is it Caesar or is it Christ? Who is the Savior of the world? Is it Caesar or is it Christ? Who brings peace on earth to all men? Is it Caesar or is it Christ? Who will you worship? It's far too easy for Christians in the first century just to accommodate or or bring in other gods. But now they have to declare to the Roman Empire, I worship the one true God, Jesus is Kyrios. Jesus is Lord. And maybe for us, it's really easy to say, well, I only worship Jesus, right? I mean, really? I mean, do we sing songs about anyone else? Uh, I mean, maybe we do. We're listening to radio and stuff. But are we, are, we, are we really struggling with worshiping, you know, the son of the deified one, Augustus, or Jesus? I don't know if that's an issue, but here's a question. If you look at your life, Maybe answer this question. How does the world really work based on your life? The way you live, would it suggest that the last shall be first? Does it suggest that the world works by laying down your life?
How does the world work in your life? When your car breaks down, do you really worry about your life? As to things to eat or wear, what you will wear. Or do you stress out? When, when, you're, when you're getting validation and approval, are you looking at it from Christ or God or are you getting it from man? Are you uh, worried about whether or not you're going to have enough and you need to store up more and more and you got your 401k, you got your savings, you got all that stuff stored up on earth or are you storing up things in heaven? If you looked at your life, who are you worshiping, Caesar or Christ? Are there Caesars alive today? Are there things still kicking around today? Are we worshiping Christ or the Caesars of the world? You see, the question how the world really works is this. In in the gospel message of Jesus' birth, it paints, see you later, dude. Um, It paints a bigger story of what the world is really like. If you believe that Jesus was born in a manger, that the Savior of the world came to us with a teenage couple who was poor, if you believe this message, then you believe in the possibility that there is another kind of peace out there, that there is another kind of kingdom operating in this world, that there is another kind of saving in this world, and that there is another kind of lordship where the world says domination, self-promotion, bigger, better, more, self-focus, money, and power, Christ flips it upside down and subverts the world by loving the heck out of it. Pardon my language, I didn't know what else to use. Loving the hell out of it. Do you see that? How did Jesus win? He died on a cross. He flipped it upside down. How does he say the world is to operate? How does he teach us as followers of Christ that how are we supposed to operate? Well, he says, consider others better than yourself. Take the mind of Christ. Give to those who ask. He talks about praying for those who curse you. He talks about loving your enemies, turning the other cheek. Let your yes be yes. He says, don't worry about your life. He says, uh, tre- store up for treasures in heaven. And when it talks about loving people, he says, look, when we deal with people, we're patient, we're kind, we're gentle, we, we don't envy, we keep no records of wrong, we honor each other, we, we rejoice in truth. Man, there's a lot. There's, we're gentle, we're self-controlled, we sacrifice, we, we live out humility. Do you think, if you look at your life, and the way this, the, that your life is running out, is being played out, excuse me, are you living with Caesar or Christ as the Lord? Seriously. Jesus lived a subversive message message of love. Love, agape. I barely, I don't even begin, I can't even begin to understand this. Do you know that the gospel writers had to invent a new word, agape, in the Greek language to describe the love that Jesus demonstrated for his people? Do you know that? That they had no reference, the humans, the, the Greek language had no reference for a love that was unconditional, a love that just didn't have a reason, it just was, that was self-giving. This is what's expected of the community of God. And I think the secret to flipping the world upside down is far more attainable than we've made it to be. It's quite simple. It's love. It's how we love. 
This is the message of, of Christmas. That Jesus flips the world upside down and makes this whole new love story. That God didn't give up on creation in its desolation and despair, but God entered in as Emmanuel, as God with us. Do you understand the significance that God doesn't stand on the outside and say, get your act together. He comes to you as you are and says, you're my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That nothing you can do do can earn my love. Nothing you can do on earth or in heaven can change my love for you. Do you understand that reality? That's the Christmas story. And it starts with a baby being born. And what I love about this illustration is that, like any baby, I was just holding, holding Oliver, who's dressed as an elf, in the kids' room. What do you do with a baby? All you can do is hold it. All you can... If it, okay, and this is a great illustration for me. I don't have any kids yet. And... Uh, and uh, I was at a party on Wednesday, and like, you can tell when somebody's a dad and when they're not. You know, the dad's like walking like this, like moving around. He's got a drink. He's eating food. He's, you know, the, he's, he's been a father for a little bit. He's got like a nine-month-old or something. And then they hand the baby to me, and it's like force field, arms are straight. It's really heavy. Hey, guys, what's going on? You know? And, and it just gets heavier, and you're like, the baby's turning in, and you're like, how do I adjust? I don't know what to do. Can I touch it here? It's so awkward. All you can do is receive the baby. The story of the incarnation, the story of flipping the world upside down begins with us as disciples understanding that God loves you as you are. That there are Caesars in this world. That the world will say it looks this way and it operates this way, but Jesus flips it upside down and it begins by you just saying, gosh darn it, thank you. I know I'm going to try to earn it, but I can't. Thank you. I know I get validation from people when they affirm me here, but I know you say I'm good enough. Thank you, God. That's the message at Christmas. It starts there. That God so loved the world that he came into the cracks of the world to tell a man under the overpass, you're worth it. That he said to the teenagers, I can use you as you are. Just be obedient to me. He comes to the town with no reputation, Nazareth, and says, my son's coming from here. That's the gospel message. That's the incarnation. That's Luke chapter 2 with this backdrop of this crazy world dominated by politics and religion. Jesus comes from within and redeems it. We don't sing songs about Caesar, do we? We sing songs about Jesus. His way, love, is how the world works. It's how the world is supposed to work. You with me? Whew, that was good. Um, no, no. <laughs> yes, all right. Good word, sir. Um, yeah, that's ridiculous. How, how does this play out? It's so ridiculous. Let's all, you know, let me just humble myself. Here's Darren yesterday, talking about generosity. Yeah, this is where all the amens come out. Talking about generosity talking about life in the spirit, talking about looking at the community, living in a way that gives, living in a way that's concerned for others. This is how petty and pathetic your pastor is. Yesterday, my, my iPhone case, I got this flimsy one, finally broke, and my wife and I are going about doing our things, and I needed to go get a new one because I have an iPhone. 
I'm already blessed with a smartphone, but of course I need a case. I'm going to drop it, and it needs to be a lightweight case. Maybe it's a wallet so I can get rid of the wallet too. Maybe it's a little more expensive than the other ones. I can justify it, babe. I'll have it for two years. This particular case, are you kidding me? It's going to levitate if I leave it behind me. It's going to yell at me, Siri already said I can get it. This is what's going on. (laughs) This is what's going on after she simply says this to me. She's met with all this opposition and defense. Darren, do you think you really need it? And that's where all the defense comes out. This is all the reasons. Here's why you're wrong. You always do this to me. You control our budget. This is what I'm saying to my wife. Bless her heart. She's the thorn in my side, but she's also the gift of my life. And she's not here today to defend herself. She's still sick. What is that? What is, what is that little iPhone case to me? It's very, I'm particular. Does anyone else struggle? It's not just a case, because I could get that at Big Lots. It's, it's this case. It's, what is that in cre- creeping into my soul? And when somebody pulls on the, on the thread of consumerism, of selfishness, of needing more, my defense goes up. And I attack my beautiful bride with words that you shouldn't say. I wasn't that bad. But we debated for a while. I got flipped off twice this week. No joke. I, got, I, I never get flipped off. Twice. Backing out of my house, moving my car so I can let somebody out of the driveway. And this guy stops, slams on the horn, makes sure I notices it. Obviously, I noticed it. His horn's on at like 7 a.m. And he drives away, and I think I'm going to catch up. And show them what pastors say to people that do that. With all humility, no, I didn't do it. I didn't catch up. How does the world work? If someone cuts you off, you let them know. If someone wrongs you, you wrong them a little bit more. If someone at your work gets a raise, you expect a raise. If someone in your family is ruining Christmas, you let them know or you'll talk about it behind their back. Are you living as if Caesar's in charge or Christ? And it goes to the most pettiest things there are. iPhone case, the type of coffee we drink. I'm not saying that stuff's bad. I'm just saying what's competing after your worship? Where do you get your validation? Are you living out of a solid sense of self that you are the beloved son and daughter of Jesus? of the Father in heaven, who empowers you with his Holy Spirit to become a participant and a partner in the renewal of all creation. That's who you are. Or you live in a petty life that's concerned about whether Siri told you to do something or not. That's my issue. Husbands, trying to fix your wives. What does Jesus say? Lay down your life for her. In community, You think it's the community problem that this isn't working out. If you're in a community group, there's conflict. What does it say? Have the mind of Christ. Consider others better than yourselves. Have you done that? If you want to know how much you can grow in Christ, ask ask yourself this question. Do you find that in situations, you find it easy to die to yourself? To the degree that it's difficult is to the degree that you can grow in Christ. Because for him, it was an it was a choice of yes. That's love. You with me? 
Let me close with this. I already said this, but what do we do with this message? Number one, the story of Christmas has to be received as it is. If we think it's too good, it's because it is. It shouldn't go to the shepherds. It should come to pastors on stage. That's what I say. It should go to the people that are living morally better than them. It should go with people that are giving more to the church. It should go with the the politicians. The message shouldn't start with the lowest of low to the least likely folks. No, but that's the message. And I want to challenge us again. Are we going to celebrate that message by buying tons of stuff every year? Or can we redeem the story of Christmas? Not let the story be told by consumerism and culture and let it be told by true Christianity. Number one, receive the story. It's too good. It's too subversive. It's too messy and, and, and gross and sticky. It's a baby, for, the, for crying out loud, in a manger, a feeding trough, with camels and donkeys and whatever else is there. That's the story of Christmas. What are the implications in your life for that? Can you receive the love of God? Because only when you receive it are you able to do what's next, which is live it out. I think the second thing is we've got to live out this story. We have to fight the Caesars in our own lives. And I'm, I'm willing to lay down my right for an iPhone case. Who else is with me? Yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, what? honestly, I mean, I'm just going to throw this out there. This is crazy. I haven't talked to our elders about it. I have this vision for the year of Jubilee. My dream is that our church would somehow get rid of all debt in our church. How cool would that be? Could you imagine? I know this is so off topic, and I'm going to get stoned for this later because it's an administrative nightmare. What if, what if our church took seriously forgiving each other's debts and we helped each other get out of debt? It would probably take a couple years. But what if there was no debt? That's the type of community I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a community that says, you know what, my heart's not right. I shouldn't get an iPhone case. I want to be a part of a community that says we should pay each other's debt off. That's what God's about, right? Changing our hearts to desire those things. Let's live out that story, however it plays out in your life. I don't know what it is. I don't know what Caesar you're worshiping, but gosh darn it, let's put an end to it. The third thing is this. How many of us are sitting on pots of gold? We have to give this away. We have to share this story. We have to, we, we, we're not going to have the chance, like Linus from the Charlie Brown Christmas, to get on the stage, spotlight, all, all, everything goes dark. He's, he speaks that message from Luke and talks about what Christmas is really like. We're not all going to have that opportunity, but could we live a story that is far more compelling than words? It all begins with Christmas. It all begins with how you receive this story. Let me, um, let me pray for us and have the worship team come up. Lord, we just invite your spirit. It's all, you're already here, God. We recognize it, but would you come? Would you come and fill us, Lord? Fill us us with your presence, Lord. I'm just going to wait for a moment in silence and just 
invite God to minister to you. So all that is, is wherever you are, just keep your eyes closed. Just if you want to hold your hands out as a posture of God, I'm, I'm open to you. We believe at this church that God is real. He's a living God. That when we pray, things can happen. And he delights in answering prayers. I think about this message. And there are some of us that have been given diagnosis of a condition. And for whatever reason, that world says that sickness has the last say. That Caesar says you, that has the last say. But Christ is here to say, nope, I have the last say. I make all things new. Some of us are sitting literally in the brokenness of our families, preparing ourselves for the chaos that's going to come, how we enter back into these systems of brokenness. And we, we just pray that, that we could be above it this year. And Christ wants to empower you to redeem the broken family. Not just get through the holiday, but redeem the holiday for your family. Some of you sit here and you think the world has said, I'm homeless, I'm not good enough. And I want to remind you that the first people that, were in, that got the message that Jesus was born were shepherds in a field on night watch. That you're worth it, that you're valuable, and you have something to offer that God will use you as you are.